to start a new series of lessons that the DVD introduces to us that I've entitled Reclaiming the Seven Cultural Mountains. Now, as you can see, that's not a unique title to me, but there have been others that have taught and shared in this particular area. And uh, some of their insight and understanding I'm certainly going to bring to you this morning and through these next couple of weeks as well. But uh, I I want us to begin to be engaged in the transformation heart of God in our culture. God is not just on a salvage mission. He's on a complete restoration mission. He's wanting to restore dominion back to the earth so that it would reflect the glory that he always intended for it to reflect uh, concerning him. Now, here at Legacy, we have four statements we make on occasion with regards to vision and sort of the synopsis of how we go about it. Uh, You've heard it. If you've been to the website, you see it very quickly. It says we're about reaching people. We're about uh, restoring hope. We're about rebuilding lives. And then it says we're about reclaiming the culture. All of this, I believe, in totality reflects the heart of God uh, with regards to the mandate that he's put on us as a church. And so we're going to talk about this in the next few weeks, and I want to make it exceedingly practical. I hope it works out that way. And uh, I want you to begin to see and understand uh, what dominion really is all about. That's what we're talking about is dominion. How many of you know you were called to be the head and not the tail? You're to be above and not below. The Bible says you're to lend and not borrow. The scripture says that you should be blessed in your barns and your baskets. In fact, the blessing should not only come upon you, but the scripture says it should overtake you. And if the enemy were to come against you one way, he would scatter in seven ways. In fact, I'm going to read it again here in just a moment that God said that if you would obey the voice of the Lord thy God and endeavor to do all that he commanded you, that he would set you above all the nations, the scripture says, of the earth. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? That he would set us above all the nations. Well, the biblical word for that is dominion. Now, don't get scared by it because... Your local cable news outlet would love for you to be frightened by that. That's the heart of God, and it's actually a good thing. Jesus put it to us this way. He said it was his desire that you and I would become salt and light. That's how he put it. Salt and light means that we have dominion or we have influence. So we're going to talk about these seven mountains, and we're going to talk about what it all means and how it really boils down to our own life. And so this morning, I've entitled our lesson, I've entitled the message, How We Lost the Mountains. How We Lost the Mountains. We'll never retake what it is we're supposed to be over unless we understand how we got where we are today. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2, and we'll see how long I can go this morning. I may not get through all of this. I'm just giving my tech guys a heads up. Uh, Because my voice may not hold out. But if God anoints it, who knows? We may go longer than normal. You never know. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to do it, Pastor. Just blame God on that. That's right. Isaiah chapter 2, I'm going to read several verses here. You'll find these exact same verses as well in the book of Micah. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Almost the exact same verses as I'll be reading in Isaiah chapter 2. 
Scripture says of itself that every fact is established on the testimony of two or three. How many of you know if God says something at least twice, that's something on his heart? Isaiah 2 verse 1, we read, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, it shall come to pass in the latter days. How many of you believe we're in latter days? shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. I, I ought to stop there. We could just spend a lot of time on that. You know, God, God in the last days is going to be on a rebuke mission. You say, I don't like rebuke. Then you won't be in the center of what God's doing. He says he'll rebuke uh, many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. And so we'll talk this morning on what I've entitled, How We Lost the Mountains. Now, if you will bear with me and just imagine yourself in a college Bible class for just a moment. I want to go through a couple of things. It may seem weighty or confusing, but just bear with me. I'll make it as simple as I can to keep everybody with me, but this is very, very important. There are basically two strains of thought about last days. Now, I know there's all sorts of ways to interpret it, but there's basically two strains of thought. The first one is, is that everything will get worse and worse, and an anemic church will be mercifully spared all the bad things that are happening both in the world as well as inside the church, but will be spared, the true church will be spared through the rapture. Now, <clears throat> I believe in the rapture. You've heard me teach that before. I believe that to be a true and forthcoming event. I recognize that there are verses in the Bible. In fact, there are numerous verses that tell us how in the latter days things will grow worse and worse and worse. The scripture tells us that darkness will cover the face of the earth. Yes, gross darkness. How many of you realize we're living in gross darkness days? It's about as gross as I've seen. In fact, it not only says that it's going to happen in the world, but there are verses that actually say that it's going to creep into the life of the church. In fact, Paul said that in latter times, exceedingly, in fact, that was the word, exceedingly fierce and difficult days will come. In fact, he gives quite a lengthy list. He says, for men will be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, liars, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And then it says that they'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. He says, from such turn away. We also have there in the book of the Revelation, the first couple of chapters where we're going through the life of the churches, the seven churches, whom many people believe really uh, underscore different ages or times or periods that go on in the life of the church. And of course, for those of you that are kind of up on this, you know, the seventh church is the church of Laodicea, which is a compromised church. Uh, they, uh, they've lost 
They've lost their passion. They're, they're lukewarm, the scripture says. They're neither hot nor cold. They're lukewarm. And God himself says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And so there's this strain of thought that's taught to us about the latter days, that everything is collapsing, everything's getting worse. And as everything's getting worse, that the only hope we have is that Jesus will step into all of this and, uh, and rapture us out of here. Now, I call this the pessimistic version of the future. Now, all of that is true, but just because all of it is true, it does not necessarily mean that that's all that's going on. There's a second strain of thought that I want to make sure you understand that I believe is a far better interpretation of what needs to take place. The second thing is this. Everything will get worse and worse, but a powerful church will be exercising influence and revival. Now, that's where I land. I believe that when God comes for his church... We're not going to be this anemic, powerless, impotent entity that somehow by the skin of our teeth and somehow by last minute desperation, we are saved from this place. I believe that we're to be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. I believe that we're to be a powerful church. I believe there are scripture references that indicate that we as the church will arise we will have solutions and we will have answers. The scripture says that, yes, though there be gross darkness, that a light would arise. And you know that, that when things get darker, lights get brighter. And I believe that even though there be darkness, that, that people, as their lives are collapsing, are going to begin looking for solutions and answers to all of life's questions. And when they look and see the church, now I'm just not talking about an enterprise or an institution because let me tell you the institution of the church has disappointed more people than i can count but what they will be looking for are people people groups that we know as the church the true church and they're going to be looking at their lives and they're going to be seeing how life works for them i am believing that you will be a part of that group that folks will look to and see how life was meant to be lived You are to be the answer. You are to be the solution. All of us together as we become the church, we become the mountain of the house of the Lord that will be above all the other mountains. To where when these mountains are, are in frustration and collapsing and falling apart, where will they look? Will they look toward Harvard and Harvard doesn't have the answer? They look to Yale, and Yale doesn't have the answer. They, God forbid, they may look to Donald Trump, and he ain't going to have the answer. And they'll look at each other and say, we've looked at our best and our brightest and our smartest, and nobody has the answer. Where do we look? And all of a sudden, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be above all the mountains. It says that the nations shall flow to it. Now, it, it's good news, bad news. It means that things are going to fall apart. But there's going to be an answer that people will see that they'll begin to flow to. You see, I believe that's us. Deuteronomy 
28. Guys, I can't read the whole thing, but it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. Let that seep into your spirit for just a moment. You are not meant to live at the bottom of the barrel. You are not meant to live at the bottom of the food chain or, or, or the bottom of the totem pole. You were built and God designed you to be exalted above the nations. Why? So you could be somebody? No. So you could be the solution that people could see and aspire to. See, I believe that. I believe God is doing that even in the days you and I are living in. But the question is, what are those mountains we are supposedly over? Now, I'm going to go through this quickly. The DVD already elaborated on these mountains, but I'm just going to remind you one more time quickly of these seven mountains. Now, <clears throat> the Bible does not say these are the seven mountains. This is, this is just sort of a synopsis of, of what culture looks like. What formulates a culture? If I were to look at you and say, what is culture? Culture would be synopsized in these seven mountains. These seven mountains influence it. They form it. They forge it. They direct it. They guide it. These are seven mountains that really, as a whole, define who we are as a culture. Now, let's go through this. Obviously, our religion or what we believe spiritually. Number two, the family. Our family defines culture. Number three, education. Number four, business, as was mentioned in the DVD. Let's go. Number five, the media. Stop there. Whoa, whoa, just take off number six real quick for just a second. Number five, media. How many of you know media forms opinion? Media forms perspective. I was watching just a few days ago. I, I flipped through. I watch all the cable channels. Some of you will think I'm anathema because I stopped at MSNBC. But I was watching it, and they were interviewing some journalists, and one journalist just came right out and said it. They were asking about media bias, and the journalist just came right out and said it. He said, everybody has a worldview. We can no longer talk about media objectivity. Now, what that meant was this. You're darn right you're going to hear a perspective from us. They just, they just come right out and open it, make no bones about it. There is a worldview, or there is an opinion now, in most journalists, and they're going to do their best to make sure that you and I have a worldview that matches theirs. That forges a culture. That forms a culture. Okay, now we go to number six. Arts and entertainment. Stop there for just a second. Hey, I hate to say it, but Hollywood, Hollywood unfortunately forges and forms culture, does it not? We watch its hairstyles. We watch its, its clothing styles. Unfortunately, we watch its mores and values, and we take it upon ourselves. We figure because, you know, a movie star who makes a gajillion dollars can afford four, five, six, seven divorces in their life. We figure we can too. We figure because this is how they live their life, and this is what they do, that it must be good enough for me. We just don't see the behind-the-scenes mess that all of them are living out. We just see the smiles and the happy talk that go on late night talk shows that make it sound like it's all good and cool. That's all PR, people. But we cannot deny it, it's of influence. I was telling the guys at Iron Man, and, and again, if I don't get through all this today, I'll just pick up next week where I left off. But 
But there were two things that just blew me away. In 1934, Clark Gable was in a movie where for the first time in a Hollywood movie, uh, a man went shirtless. In other words, he, did, he had no undershirt or t-shirt on. And uh, Clark Gable, back in those days, I guess, was pretty ripped. And they said that as soon as that movie came out, and it was of such influence because he did not wear a t-shirt, that t-shirt sales in America plummeted. Is that not remarkable? Now, if you think that's remarkable, listen to this. In 1942, when Bambi came out, they said, they said that in 1942, sales for hunting gear was approximately $5.7 million. Once Bambi came out, the next year it plummeted to less than a million dollars. Because we ain't going to shoot Bambi. Now, I'm not going to get the hunters and non-hunters at each other here. I'm just simply saying, that's influence. That's the whole point. Influence. So we know Hollywood has influence. Go to number seven. And then lastly, of course, our government. And our government is of great question in recent days as to how it influences us. But, but the word of the Lord is, is that the house of God is to be the mountain that's over all the mountains. In other words, we are the conduit through which God moves to provide solutions and answers, not only into our individual lives, as important as that is, and that really is where it all starts. But God intended for it to go beyond just our individual lives. It was to go into our marriage. It was to go into our family and our household. It was to break into the neighborhoods and into our towns and into our cities and into our counties and our states. And yes, our nation until globally the whole earth reflected the glory of God. That's the heart of God. That's dominion. It was designed to give glory to God. Now, do we not believe that Jesus is Lord of all? Can you say amen? You believe that, right? Good, 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 good doctrine. Jesus is Lord of all. That means he's Lord of justice. Aren't you glad he's Lord of economics? Man, I'm so glad I do not have to count on Wall Street. I'm glad there's a kingdom economy that I can plug into. That Wall Street and bankers cannot mess up. Is he not the Lord of science? He created this whole thing, didn't he? The Lord of communication. Is he not the one, the Lord of arts and beauty? Education. Psalm 24, verse 1. Post it, guys. Psalm 24, verse 1 says this. Post it. 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness the world, and those who dwell therein. There you go. Everything on this planet was designed to give glory to God. Switch to Colossians chapter 1 real quick. It says, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and what? What's those last two words? Again. Everything was created where? For Him. Now you think about it. Go drive through your city and just look around. And as you begin to look around, you're going to begin to realize everything was designed for Him. There's nothing off limits. 
I was reading an old Calvinist the other day. He was really a great guy, Abraham Kupier. And he said this, that every, every atom in the universe was designed for him. There is nothing that's been sealed off from his lordship. Everything Jesus looks at and he cries out and he says, mine. It's his. It's his. Go to that next verse, verse 17. It says, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. You know what that means? It means nothing works right unless he's in it. See, the Bible's really practical. See, if you want to start something up and run it on your own, it may go a while, and it may look successful, depending on what your measuring stick is. But the Scripture tells us, jump back to verse 17. That in him all things consist. So I'll just, I'll just share this really simple point. If Jesus isn't Lord of your life, your life will be a wreck. If Jesus isn't Lord in your marriage, your marriage won't make it. If Jesus isn't Lord, and I mean, a re I'm not talking figurehead Jesus, I'm talking real king. If he's not king of your family, your family falls apart. If he's not king in our educational system, oh wow, that's right. Our educational system is falling apart. Oh, if he's not king in, our, in the halls of government, then that's right. Our government's falling apart. If he's not king in our economy, then our economy, well, it is, it's falling apart. Can you begin to see it? If he's not in it, it won't consist or exist. That's why we don't apologize to anyone for saying Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. This is the great phrase, that in all things, he may have the preeminence. That means there's nothing out of his scope of kingship. There's nothing out of his scope of lordship. All right? This is... Why the church is to be the mountain that's over all the mountains. Now let's talk for just the moments I have left as the reasons why we've not affected these areas, why we've not affected culture. I'm going to begin to explain to you why we've lost these mountains. If we don't understand why we've lost these mountains, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be going through this again and, and we'll just trip over the same things we've been tripping over now for centuries. Number one. The reason the church does not affect culture is because the church has lost its vision for it. And, and, and I'll just say out loud that primarily this falls at the feet of pulpits and pastors, people like me. We have not cast a vision to the church. We've not cast a vision to the people of God for what the scripture says is really the great commission mandate. I know you've read the Great Commission out of Matthew 28. Can I post it one more time just so we can carefully read the last words that Jesus left us, okay? Matthew 28, 19. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the what? Did you know that was in there? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He went on, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now, 
in just a moment, I'm going to, if I get there, I'm, I'm going to talk about the gospel of salvation in lieu of the gospel of the kingdom. But, but let me just share this with you. In order to disciple people or even disciple nations, they got to get saved. Amen? Discipling saved people is enough to drive you crazy. Can you imagine discipling unsaved people? I mean, I, I, so, I, so, so obviously the point I'm making is you got to get them saved. Because that's the only chance you got to try to disciple anybody is at least get them saved. So discipling means certainly evangelism. Because you can't disciple what you haven't evangelized. But the point being, and we'll elaborate on this, is that that was never where Jesus intended for it to stop. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Jesus is not the end of the line, he's the door. He's not a dead end, he's the gate. And when you receive Jesus into your life, it starts you on a journey. You be, once you get forgiven and cleansed and whole and right, you are now in the position to begin to live life abundantly. It's not an event. It's not a one-moment deal. It is a comprehensive lifetime journey. And the reason we've not exercised dominion is because we're always waiting for an event and we've not realized that a part of this is us walking this thing out. And as we walk it out, he begins to manifest his goodness and his blessing. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves being elevated and we arise. But, but the church has lost a vision for this. I will say it this way. My wife... Uh, my wife likes uh, to redecorate. Those of you that know Tracy, she loves redecorating. And our favorite channel, like some of yours perhaps, is the HGTV channel. Now, <clears throat> I watch this because I love my wife. I, I don't watch it because I'm this big HGTV fan. To me, it's work. That's all I see. I said, why do we sit around and watch work for a couple hours? I don't, I don't get this. But she likes this. She really likes this. And there's all different kinds. You know the shows. Those of you that watch it, they'll renovate things. They'll, 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 they'll stage rooms to sell houses. They'll, they'll renovate under $1,000 something. I mean, there's all sorts of shows. And one of the most interesting things they do, especially designers, is that they'll, they'll pencil out a, a look of what the room, let's say, will look like when it's all said and done. And then off to the side, they'll, they'll, they'll glue little... Uh, uh, Swatches, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll glue leather and colors and all sorts of, of materials. And they'll try to explain to you all the colors and how it meshes and everything. And they're showing you this. And a lot of times, this is what's funny, that the ladies who are on TV and this is happening, they're looking at it going, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. And the guys look like they're just out to lunch, man. They don't even know. They're just going, what, you know, whatever. And, and I thought to myself, as I was looking at that and watching that one time, that in some ways, that helps explain why it's so hard for the church to get a vision of what God wants to do. Because oftentimes, as ministers, as pastors, all I can put before you is this sort of this sketch, this drawing, a few little things off to the side, maybe a few colors splashed on here and there. And we try to hold it up to you and, and for you to see it. And it's not that you don't want it. It's not that you, you, you don't want to be cooperative in it. 
But it's just hard. It's hard to get a vision of what that's going to really look like when it's all said and done. My wife used to do this to me all the time. I'd walk into a room and on a wall, she'd have a couple paint samples some tacked on the wall. She'd have some picture out of a magazine, some swatches of carpet or, or, or material. And, and I'd come in and she'd point to it and say, what do you think? I, I, what do I think? I think, I trust you. I trust you. And if I'm the one doing it, the whole time I'm doing the work, sometimes I'm not getting it. I'm painting the wall, I'm putting it all together, and I'm still not getting it. I rarely get it until we're just about done. And then it's like I'll stand back and go, oh, I get it now. I understand, oh, I understand. That's, now I understand the picture you are giving me, how it looks in reality. I'm telling you right now, there's a picture that we're trying to give the body of Christ as to what could be. And I think sometimes the church goes, well, it sounds good. I, I, yeah, I think I'll go with you. But, but we don't sometimes have enough under the belt in order to really get the full scope of what this means. And so for some of you, you just need to kind of trust and go for the ride. Some of you may get the picture, but I'm telling you, God is serious about bringing his rule back to the earth. So much so that when nations want to go to war, they'll know the futility of it. And Isaiah says they'll beat their swords into plowshares. That's amazing. Absolutely. That, that say we don't, we, we, this, is, this is something that just doesn't matter anymore. But you see, what our problem is, is that we're more worried about our second condo. We're more worried about our comfort levels and our convenience. Do you understand? We have more, statistically speaking, we have more people who call themselves Christian in America than we've ever had before. That statistically, if you were to ask Barna or Gallup, or Zogby, or Rasmussen, or if they did any of these polls, that they would agree that there are more people today who call themselves Christian in America than we've probably ever seen in all of our existence. But can I share this with you? We are the most anemic and powerless as a church that we've ever been. Now, that's not good news, but I got good news. The good news is that's changeable. But we're going to have to realize that, that our size does not produce influence. Are you following me? You can, you, you see, that's America. America in the natural is really demonstrating what we are in the spiritual. We have an obesity problem in America, don't we? You've heard it on the news. I'm trying to trim some pounds off my life. I think just about everybody's trying to trim a few pounds off. Why? It's because we big, but we're dying and that's the church. We big, but we're dying. We're not of influence. We're fat. The reason people see us is because they can't miss us. Use a big fat couch potato. 
We got to get a vision, a vision again that God has called us into being global changers. And your global assignment starts in your life, then it starts in your marriage, then it goes to your family, and then it begins to transcend into your business, to your school, to your education, into the halls of Columbia and Washington, D.C. It begins to encompass the earth. But we can't have dominion over the earth. And I've said this too. Guys, until we get dominion over our eyes. And ladies, until you get dominion over your mouths. I'm not being mean to you, but don't think you're going to run the defense department when you can't run your own personal computer. See what I'm saying? That's, that's why the days we're in are so critical. Because God is, is line upon line, order upon order, precept upon precept. He's endeavoring to get his church right because he is going to raise that mountain up above all the mountains so that the nations can stream to it. We got to get our vision for that again. Sometimes, you know what keeps me straight? Number one is the fear of God. I got a good healthy fear of God. If I, I just know that if I were to do something disobedient, sinful, out of order... I mean, God, I understand God's gracious and, you know, he, he's just not out to expose. But I'm just telling you, if you've got a heart after him and you've, and you've got responsibility and visibility, I just got enough fear of God to know this. He's going to track me down and get me. So it's the fear of God, number one, that keeps me straight. And number two is it's a vision. That there is in me a vision for what could be. What could be. And if we could get that vision for what could be, man, you'd give your life to it. Got a vision for it. Number two, we got to get rid of the retreat mentality and non-engagement. We've developed what's been called a hold the fort mentality. And I think we've kind of viewed evangelism sort of like, sort of like people pulling other people out of water who are drowning, which is good to do because if you see a drowning person, you should pull them out. But our problem is we never see ourselves as the ones who are to build a new boat to go out and begin to own the shipyard so that we could send more ships out and that we could begin to salvage the whole planet instead of sitting on our own little dock picking up some who are floating by. Matthew sixteen eighteen says this. It says, I'll say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What that passage means is, is that the church is moving forward against those areas that seem to be off limits. If, if hell has positioned itself somewhere, what that means is the church is beginning to pound on those gates and those strongholds. And the Bible says that the gates and the strongholds of hell itself cannot stop us. The only thing that stops us is mostly ourselves. I'll talk about that here in just a second. Number three, I believe we've not affected culture because we've been locked out of the mainstream and key networks of influence. I mean, when was the last time you saw a pastor asked about the issues we are facing as a nation and not blow the answer? You say, well, I know a couple pastors that were on there. Well, I do too. And then they get asked easy questions and then they goof them up. The church is the last place people think to go for an answer. 
The church is not on the top of their list of who do I need to see in order to understand what it means in order to have a life that works. The media, listen to this. This is, this is confusion. This is why it's called Babylon. There's such confusion in the media that they would just as soon go ask a dumb, not-headed Hollywood movie star their opinion on the economy. Every time I hear that, I just go, I say, what? Why, why, why are you asking them? But yet they will ask them before they would ask any servant of the Lord. Why is that? Well, that we've been locked out. And the reason we've been locked out is because of the other two. We don't have a vision for change. We've not committed ourselves to the issues of integrity and responsibility and longevity. We've not developed a generational plan. It's not just about you. It's about the generations that follow after you. It's not just about me. It's about those that will come after me. And we've been locked out. We've just been locked out. Number four. The reason the church does not affect culture is because we have lacked the commitment to generate capital, to influence. The church, let's be honest, we don't have the kind of money, ABC, NBC, CBS, cable news. We don't have the kind of money, Fox News Network. I mean, I saw Juan Williams lost his job over at, you know, National Public Radio, and then he gets $2 million to go to Fox News. I thought, isn't that nice? I mean, you don't, you don't need workmen's comp or unemployment. Do you? We don't have that kind of money. Some have tried to influence the culture. CBN, Pat Robertson's tried, and TBN, and Daystar, and Word. But the problem is, is that even these networks sometimes don't get much beyond the salvation message. And then once they get the salvation out there, then they got to fundraise. Just to keep the thing on. Millions of dollars are capitalizing secular thought. Do you understand there are billions of dollars capitalizing secular thought? Harvard itself has a $1 billion endowment fund. Think about that. A billion dollars setting in a fund, it's been endowed. And, and, and it's capitalized. Christians haven't been capitalized. Why is that? It's because we get blessed, and the minute we get blessed, we go get us our third house. And we go get us our boats and our jet skis. And we go, we go, we just blow it. We're like lottery winners. That we get, we get blessed by God. And then it just goes poof. And then we go before him again saying, oh, God, bless me again. And God says, why? I, I, I let you have all of this. And, and you just built bigger barns and say, soul takes thine ease. And there was no sense of kingdom assignment in all of these things. Now, all of these contribute, I think, to our cultural insignificance. You understand that the average person in the world, when it looks at the church, when it looks at us, it says, well, the church is good. They marry, they bury every now and then. They give us a little moral guidance. But don't offend me. The minute you suggest that Jesus is the only way, I'm out of there. And we've not, we've not stayed true to the stuff that we know that will lead us to the place of being an anchor in a time of difficulty, but instead we've elected to hook our ships up to a world that is sinking. 
And I'm telling you, God is wanting us and he's called me to cut the rope off a sinking ship and begin to tie into that which is unshakable and unchangeable. And when it's all said and done, we'll find out who influences who. Now, there are just a couple things here and I'm done. I think I can get through this in a hurry. There are a couple things that I want to resolve to become the mountain of the house of the Lord. We're going to do this real fast. So guys back there, keep quick fingers. Number one, we got to resolve this issue, the obedience versus disobedience issue. <sighs> Secularism, humanism, atheism, godless liberalism, socialism are to us in America comparable to what the Israelites faced when they had to stand against the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, you know, the, the parasites, I don't know who all were. 4,000 years ago, they had to stand against all of these enemies. These are our enemies today. They are not, listen, they're not more powerful than we are. They cannot kill us. However, listen, when we disobey the Lord, we open the door for the enemy to walk in and take over. Do you understand when Israel got in trouble was not when they failed to show up for the battle. Well, well, they did get in trouble when they failed to show up for the battle. But the problem was when they failed to show up, they were in disobedience. And whenever they were in disobedience, God allowed the hedge to be lifted and all of their enemies to come in and capture them and take them off into captivity. I want to suggest to you that the church today, the reason we, we battle secularism and atheism and humanism and, and all the isms we face is because we have not settled the tension of obedience and disobedience. The moment you disobey God is the moment your hedge begins to lift. Obedience is the best place you can ever be. In fact, in Deuteronomy 8, 19, and I can't read them all, but it says, Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Next verse. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish. Because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Yes, those are tough old verses, but we got to remember that God is Lord. He is king over all. He expects obedience from us. Think about this. I just want to share this so you can connect the dots. How many times have we seen some, some gifted young person, some musician gifted in vo voice, gifted in, in, in music, and, and, they, and they're giving glory to God and they, and they want to shine for the Lord and they give their testimony and God's, God's graced them with skill and, 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 and talent and a gifting and an anointing. And then all of a sudden, God opens the door for them to go into the mountain of arts and entertainment. And the minute they get there and the minute they sign the multi-gajillion dollar contract, they lose their brain. Do you understand? We get these opportunities and the moment they come. I've seen it through the years. People that, that, were, that were in debt and impoverished. And they cried out to God just to get them out of their debt mire. And, uh, and all of a sudden God will move and he will bless them and bless them and bless them. And, and all of a sudden the blessing 
that was meant to, yes, pull them out and help them, the monies that they receive are the very things that begin to lead them off the track to where they buy all these things and they can't be in the house of the Lord anymore and they, and they can't serve the Lord because they got too much stuff to, to use and to look over. And God gives us things and then the minute we get them, we're disobedient with them. How many times have you seen kids in high school and college and, and, and they love God and they're, they're, they're athletes and they have these incredible talents and all of a sudden God plucks them out and he puts them into a professional sport. And the minute they get to a professional sport, something happens. They see the money or the women or whatever it is they see and they lose their mind. We have got to settle the obedience issue. If God opens a door for you to be of great influence, if he gives you one of these mountains, I, I'm just praying, Lord, let Pastor Baird's voice be seared into their conscience. Don't get a brain cramp. That's why we don't. That's what the world sees. Just throw a little money at them. Throw a little fame at them. Just throw a little influence at them. It happens in pulpits too. Little, little, little pastors all of a sudden become influential people in the nation. And then they're thrown on TV and, and Larry King interviews them. And Larry asks them the question, really, Jesus is the only way to get to heaven? And they look at Larry and they look at 10 million viewers and they go, well, uh, uh, well, you know, I don't really want to judge, but, uh, you know, these things are in God's hands. And you just get off the TV. If you can't use that moment to look at the camera and say, get a close up. Jesus is the way. I didn't make the rules. I'm telling you the rules. If you're upset, be upset at the Lord. But, but I'm just telling you the way it is. But we can't do that because we're too busy trying to keep our influence that we lose our influence. Why? Because we've been disobedient. Number two, I got to hurry. There are, th these tensions have to be resolved. The gospel of salvation versus the gospel of the kingdom. Post that real quick. The gospel of salvation. I want you to notice that nowhere in the Bible will you ever see that phrase. Now, you say, well, pastor, don't you believe in salvation and the gospel is about salvation? Absolutely. But the gospel of salvation usually only is evangelism only. Let's deal with the individual's eternal destiny. Are these things important? Absolutely, absolutely. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's an escape mentality, and, they, and, and unfortunately in our era, they tend to compartmentalize. In other words, Jesus is Lord of my spiritual life, but he's not Lord much, of much anything else. The gospel of the kingdom is this. It's the restoration of every aspect of who you are. It's the lordship of Christ in heaven and on earth. It's a dominion mentality. You know, I believe Jesus is coming for his church, but Jesus himself said, occupy until I come. He said, you're to do business. You're to be about his father's business. You're to, you're to be about kingdom business until he comes. If Jesus comes tomorrow, wonderful. But today I am about establishing the kingdom of God. And then lastly, it's comprehensive in its scope. In other words, there's no aspect of my life that is off limits to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It does not matter what aspect of my life. He's involved in my business. He's involved in my kids' education. He's involved 
in, in my family, in my marriage. He's involved in my government. He's involved in absolutely every area of life. He's involved in it. He's king. And this is one of the things as the church, we've got to understand when we've lost the kingdom, we've lost everything. It's the kingdom. He said, if you would seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, he would add the rest to you. When we're about the kingdom, God will take care of everything, but you've got to be about the kingdom. Say, so we've got to resolve that tension. Matthew 24, 14, post that, guys. This is what Jesus said. He said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. What Jesus was saying was this. He was saying that there's going to be voices that will arise in end times, and I am committed and desiring to be one of the myriad of voices that will arise and look at the church and look at the world and begin to declare that Jesus is Lord over all. God rules over all. He rules over this earth. He rules over our lives. Nothing will work right until he begins to rule again in our midst. Our politicians, it's interesting, I heard this recently. I'll just say it. They say it out loud. I'll say it. Haley Barber said that we need to major on the main thing. And he said the main thing was economics. Haley Barber's wrong. The main thing is making Jesus the center of everything. Once he's the center of everything and you seek the kingdom first, the economy will get right. But the reason the economy isn't right is because you've got Wall Street functioning in its greed... And you've got an enablement class who won't get off their blessed assurances and go to work. And in politics, we just fuss with each other when there's sin in the camp. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. I'll shake your tree. It's sin in the camp. And until we get right before God, we aren't going anywhere. And then lastly, the sacred and the secular, and I'm done. The sacred and the secular. There's been an unbiblical view of work and ministry for most of our lives. Can I just share this? I don't know if you'll ever be called to the ministry, but wherever you're working right now, that is your ministry. I now, I commission you. I consecrate you. I lift my hands up. All right, we'll just, we'll, just, we'll just declare it right now. You are, you are ordained for your ministry. Colossians 3.23, post it, guys, real quick. Whatever you do. You know what whatever means? That's right. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, verse 25, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. So what happens at church on Sundays, on Tuesdays, on Wednesdays, all of this should be translated into whatever you're doing every day of the week. That's what biblical worldview is all about. And I'm going to be honest with you, I am praying. I am praying that God gives me businessmen and businesswomen who feel like their calling, their calling is to go make oogles of money so they can give boogoogles of money into the kingdom. Because I'll redeem it and we'll use it to recapture mountains. 
That's what I'm praying for. Now you say, well, I want that. Well, okay, if you want that, then can you handle it once you get it? Can you really handle it? Because I believe these are the days God is testing us and he's trying us and he's purifying us as to whether or not we will do this thing. I'll end with this. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35. As I mentioned, as we got started, I mentioned to you that a lot of the problems we face aren't, aren't, aren't your fault. Sometimes I holler and yell, and I, that's just my style. I asked the Lord years ago, it's kind of our inside joke here. I said, Lord, would you just make me a little less loud and boisterous? Because and, I know people probably hear that and see that, and it probably turns them off. You know, some of them, they probably can't hear because I just, just you know. And, and I said, would you take it away? Would you take it away? Would you take it away? And I guess the Lord, since he hasn't taken it away, means for me to just to keep doing it. So I'll just keep doing it. I, 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 I'm not, not, don't misconstrue that for like he's angry. I'm not angry. It's not anger. Passion, yeah. Passionate, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know any other way than all out. So, so as I share this, I understand this is, when I say the church has done this or that, it's not, it's not your fault. I'm not, I'm not even suggesting it's your fault. To be candid with you, most of the guilt, or if there's blame that can be assigned, a lot of it falls right here on this place. The pulpits of America. The pastors of America. Because they're so, they're so insecure themselves. And they're, just, they're, they're so wanting affirmation. And they're so wanting people to affirm them. And, and there's something in, and in the nature, in the DNA of a pastor. They want people to love them because they love people. And, and so it's, it's not bad. It's just been twisted and convoluted. And what's happened is, is that we don't, we don't hear these things. We aren't challenged this way anymore. We don't leave the house of God asking ourselves, man, I need to arise and do my part. But instead we walk out and go, hey, you know, what game's on at two? Now, I love watching the games too. But I'll guarantee you, my, my, my team could be on television and it wouldn't bother me one bit if I knew there was a kingdom assignment that had to be done. I remember in, in the network I'm a part of, everybody consternated on starting the conference on Super Bowl Sunday. And they were all going, should we start on Super Bowl Sunday? This is pastors. Now, I, they're good men. All of them are good men, and we came to the right decision. But I'm listening to these voices, and finally I just said, you know what? I'm believing for Super Sunday right where I'm at. It don't bother me a bit if I don't get to see all those crazy, suggestive commercials. And, uh, you know, if, if I'm there, I'm there. If I'm not, I'm not. It's not that big a deal. But let me tell you, I am not allowing Super Sunday to determine what the church does. Athletics is not the mountain that is above every mountain. It's not the mountain that's above every mountain. So, so if any blame comes, it falls on my, my tribe, my ilk. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, there's a, there's a prophecy that comes out. And it's against the house of Eli. Now you need to understand that the priesthood was in disarray. And uh, all of Israel, therefore, was in disarray. And because it was in disarray, he begins to prophesy against Eli. And Eli had major problems. It was not just Eli, but Eli had two sons by the name of Hophni and Phinehas who were embezzling. They, they were basically taking part of the sacrifice that should have been laid on the altar. They were taking part of the sacrifice and consuming it on themselves. And then at the same time, they're sleeping with women that aren't their wives, by the way, outside the door of the tabernacle. Now, I started reading that again, and I thought, oh my Lord, how close does that shave today? 
There are people who say, I can't believe you would say that about pastors and you're one. If I don't say it, ain't nobody saying it. It's not right. It's not right. And so God begins to prophesy and speak. In fact, at first he calls it a wicked and corrupt and evil activity. Eli wouldn't address it. Eli is ultimately judged because he won't take care of his kids. He refu- I, I'm not saying that God, I don't think that God w- would have even minded if he couldn't have got them corrected. He just wanted to see, Eli, would you even arise and say something? You know, I can't say something. It's family. Yes, you can. And so the Lord speaks into this situation. 1 Samuel 2.35, he says, Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. Next verse. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver, a morsel of bread, and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. This is what God is saying. He is saying, I'm starting again and I am going to raise up a people. I'm going to raise up my leaders and I'm going to raise up a people. And when I, I'm going to raise it up myself to the place where others will see what is going on and say, I want to be of your DNA. I want to be of your tribe. I want to be of, of your ilk. I want to be that. God says, I'm going to raise that up. And I read that passage and I said to myself, oh God, that's what I want. I want that. I want that. And the good news is he says that as he does that, he will, he will, he will raise up a people that will do that too. So here's the last question. I got to stop here. I'm sorry. I could go all afternoon. I know you can't. I respect that. I'll leave with this. Will you be a priest in your house, guys? Ladies, will, will you be a priest? In your spheres of influence, will, will you be? Will you be the one that God could raise up and say, I, I, "I will raise up one myself"? Will you be? Will you be the one that that if if life and the world and our culture and everything spins to absolute corruption and disintegration, will you at least be the one that said, "Well, I did my best. I did everything I knew. I gave all my energy to make sure that whatever." level of influence or sphere of input I had. I did everything I knew to make sure, Lord, I was standing. It was obedient. And people heard the word. They heard, they heard the Lord. I did everything I knew. I did everything I knew. I believe that's what God's raising up. That doesn't sell and that doesn't market well. But God, who markets his own stuff the best, will raise up that kind of church. That's the church that the nations will stream to. They're not going to stream. They're not going to stream to the church that is in the same calamity they're in. They're going to stream to the church. That's the anchor. Stand with me, will you? We're done. Thank you for your attention. Amen.